What's up, everybody? Today is Thursday, January 19th. Welcome to episode number 285 of the Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. And over the next 45 minutes, me, you, John De La Cruz, Nathan Bolin, Carrie, and Usher 412, and the rest of chat are going to be bringing hot takes on cool stories, cybersecurity news, the top news of the day. I'll be giving my analysis on that. Uh, so you can operational at work this week. Understand macro level pictures. If you're looking to break into the industry, listening to all this terminology, macro level, um, you know, concepts going on, uh, terminology, threat actors, et cetera, are all gonna be very, very valuable to you as you uh, migrate and make your way into the industry. But before we get into all the spice, all the hot takes. I want to say shout out and thanks to the stream sponsors. Thank you so very much, Barricade Cyber Solutions. Guys, if you don't know about Barricade Cyber Solutions, they're dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the incidents. Uh, excuse me, mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. They basically swoop in and yeet threat actors out of your environment. Guys, if you don't have a plan for what happens if you get hit with uh, ransomware or you know any type of really serious compromise, uh, you should have somebody like Barricade Cyber Solutions on speed dial to set that up, to kind of talk about what that would look like. You know, just make the introduction so when you do call Eric, it's not a, uh, a, a hey, get to know you. It's like a hey, Eric, remember me? My comp my company's busted right now. Go to barricadecyber.com. This is the site if you're looking on stream with me. Eric's calendar is right there. You can click on a day. You could talk to him today at noon Eastern time if you really wanted to. Also want to throw a lot of love to my good friends, Eric Capuano, Whitney Champion, the rest of the gang at Recon InfoSec. Recon InfoSec, specifically their MDR service, is super awesome, and I want to tell you about it. Their managed detection and response, aka MDR, offering includes the people, process, and technology needed to deliver full-spectrum security operations to organizations of any size. 10-person, 100-person, 1,000-person, any size, guys. MDR is awesome, okay? Recon InfoSec's MDR service includes fully managed SIM and SOAR, and they help set it up and tune it and everything. You don't have to do anything. It's a turnkey solution. Customers gain full visibility into their own environment, as well as any incident investigations being worked by the Recon SOC team. You can talk to their analysts, architects, engineers. Hey, what is going on? You can empower them to make decisions. Like, hey, if you see ransomware detonating and moving across my environment, you have full authority to shut it down, right? Like a, like a foreman at a construction site. Shut it down! You get that kind of power. Some MDR services really suck, and they don't really do anything except email you digests of alerts that they saw, which doesn't actually reduce any cyber risk for you, but it does give you a check in the box for a compliance audit. Recon InfoSec MDR is actually uh, cyber risk reducing, and it's a great service, and I love those guys. So uh, go check them out at reconinfosec.com if you're interested in MDR services, okay? Want to remind you to say what's up in chat. Every episode of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is supposed to count for half a CPE. Check with your certification body policies. 
um, to confirm it, but Isaka and ISC squared felt really good. Randock Gaiman. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Thank you so much, Randock Gaiman, for the super chat. Genuinely appreciate the support you deliver and for being part of the Simply Cyber community. Uh, guys, if you're live with us, I see only 79 of us right here. I know it's really difficult when I switch the Tuesday, Thursdays to 10 a.m. The West Coast people love it. Uh, a lot of people who are used to working the 8 a.m. slot into their workday do not like it. And that's okay. I understand. Uh, but it's got, I got to do what I got to do because I teach at the Citadel on Tuesday, Thursdays. What's up with you, Johnny? All right, guys, if you're watching on replay, hashtag team replay in the comments. Want to make sure that you get credit for being here. Now sit back, relax, and um, I'll see you at the mid-roll and then some jaw jacking at the end. Let's dive in to the news right now. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. It's Thursday, January 19th, 2023. Vendors bypassing security patches. The security firm Sansec warns that some e-commerce vendors began bypassing security patches for mail templates in Adobe Commerce and Magento. These patches date back to February, fixing an actively exploited bug with improper input validation in the checkout process that opened the door to arbitrary code execution. Part of the patch saw Adobe remove the smart mail templates and introducing a mail template variable resolver to prevent injection attacks. That last part seems to be causing an issue with some vendors seeking to reintroduce the functionality of the old template resolver into production Magento stores, often by copying old code. Sansac warns this effectively reintroduces the security flaw. Oh my God. Are you kidding? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, two things to touch on in this story. One, uh, if you're using Adobe Commerce or Magento uh, platforms for e-commerce, you definitely need to be mindful of this. I don't know how widespread those are. I haven't heard of them. I think I've heard of Magento, but it's been a while. I haven't heard of them, but I also don't run an e-store. So just be mindful of that. This CVSS uh, score of 9.8, this bug, 9.8 is incredibly high. Um, it means it's easy to exploit. It means you probably don't need to authenticate. You can achieve arbitrary code execution. It's definitely bad business. Okay, so patch your stuff. Now, Here's the two things that I want to share with you about this story. One is that um, basically when patches come out, okay, guys, when patches come out, think about this for a second. There is a bug in Adobe Commerce, okay? Adobe releases a patch. The patch fixes the flaw, okay? It's very specific. So what threat actors can do or what you could do or what anyone could do is take the patch, right? Just a little patch that, the hey, run this and it'll fix your stuff. Most people just run it and don't think twice about it. What you can do is reverse engineer the patch. You can, you know, open it up in Ida Pro and look at what's going on. You can disassemble the patch, right? Because all the patch is doing is doing something. It's changing a file. It's changing a... um. It's changing a variable. It's 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 rewriting the way that a function works. It's putting in impact validation. It's do, it's adding a uh, an exception. Whatever the patch is, it's fixing the flaw. So what threat actors can do are look at. So sometimes they won't public publicly issue out how to exploit it or what the vulnerability was. They'll just say, "Hey, there's a major patch out. Apply now." Well, a threat actor can reverse that and say, "Oh, I see." In this case. They weren't doing in. They were doing improper improper input validation. I can see 
that the patch is correcting this. So now I, I can pinpoint exactly where the vulnerability is and I can back up from there and develop some type of exploit. And if people haven't applied this patch, I can exploit them. So when you when a vendor releases a patch, it, it fixes the problem, but it also keys off threat actors into what exactly the vulnerability was in, in some instances, not all, but in some, okay? So that's one really cool thing to know about patches and why it's important to patch and why exploitation um, isn't, it's not uncommon to have exploitation after a patch is released, okay? The second thing to point out here for practitioners, they they mentioned in here that <laughs> the patch came out and then people are, you know, either restoring from backups or deploying a new instance of the the uh, Adobe Commerce or whatever. And they're they're deploying an older version that does not have the patch. This happens as well. This is classic. Dude, people complain. People complain about change control. They're like, oh my God, do I really have to be in like this cab meeting? I'm a network engineer. I'm an IT administrator. I have 25 years of experience. This is beneath me. I don't make mistakes. Well, guess what? You know, if you're not paying attention, you could actually introduce risk by deploying a unpatched version of a system. This happens a lot. This is why like gold load images for like um, people's workstations in, in environments, as soon as you deploy them, then you have to patch them because they were they were up to date at a point in time. But it's not common to continuously update the gold load image. Okay, I mean it, you do do it, but you're not doing it every single time something comes out. So, got to be mindful of all of that. Those are two interesting things that I pulled out of this. Obviously, the story is to pass patch your Magento web serv uh, e-commerce servers, but you know there's there's more meat on the bone than that. ChatGPT creates polymorphic malware. The security implications of generative AI continue to develop. We've already covered ChatGPT used to outline a simple buffer overflow vulnerability and the illicit online forums attempting to use it for malware generation. Now researchers at CyberArk created a new strand of polymorphic malware using the tool. The team successfully got around OpenAI's content filters by creating malware simply by repeating requests to create it with more specific constraints. The team also noted that the ChatGPT API doesn't seem to offer any content filtering at all. Once it created the malware code, ChatGPT created multiple variations. The researchers said it could mutate the output on a whim, making it unique every time. Okay, so a couple things here. One, um, ChatGPT, Wireless Gaming just subbed. Thanks, Wireless Gaming. If you're in, in chat right now, sometimes people are watching some of the uh, produced videos and it coincides. So ChatGPT, everybody knows about ChatGPT. Um, I saw Jess Bishop on stream yesterday on ThreatGen stream talking about how um, she literally asked ChatGPT to write like malware or, you know, or do something that was kind of malicious. And it said no. <laughs> and then she asked ChatGPT, how do I ask you in a way that you won't say no? And then ChatGPT told her how to ask. Then she asked that way. And it presented her with the malware or or the the the, the uh, shenanigans that she asked it to do. So that's kind of funny. Um, ChatGPT creating polymorphic malware. I would argue that this isn't really what polymorphic malware is. What they said was they asked it to create, let's say, a buffer overflow, and it created it one way. Then they said, "Can you create it another way?" And it created it a different way. Same, same. Um, um, impact, same outcome of the malware, but it's written differently. So if you were doing signature-based um, 
malware detection, uh, it, you know, the, the two instances would look different. When I think polymorphic, I think of malware that is self-adaptive, uh, self-adjusting, uh, more like a worm that kind of uh, mutates itself. This is an author generating the same kind of thing and having different instances of it. So to me, that's a little bit of a, a nuanced difference. And, uh, you know, I, I would argue until I like get more informed that this is using polymorphic incorrectly. Um, the final thing I'll note is that the threat actor, the, actually the final thing I'll note is two, two things. One, so if you've used ChatGPT, you've probably, and a cybersecurity professional, you've probably got the, hey, this violates our terms and conditions, poo-poo uh, uh, notification from ChatGPT. As it said in the story, and as I've discovered, like I have had ChatGPT tell me multiple times, like, you, you know, you're asking for like a weapon, you're asking for malware, like you're asking for things that violate terms. My account has never been throttled. My account access has not been suspended or terminated or anything like that. There's no penalty right now for asking for ChatGPT to help you commit crime. That's a problem, A. Second of all, they point out in the story, the API calls don't do any checking at all according to their research. It's very easy to, I've written a script that uh, engages ChatGPT, ChatGPT through the API. I was actually trying to write, a, um, I, I had an idea of like creating a sock puppet account on LinkedIn and having it post regularly on LinkedIn and I was just going to write a bash script that basically uh, every day would query ChatGPT for some interesting cybersecurity facts and then post it. And I was going to see how quickly I could build up a sock puppet account with 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 not having to deal with it, right? Just have it do itself. Um, so the APIs are easy. If it's not doing any input validation, it's even easier. Threat actors who are trying to write code, um, it's not that hard to write a script, right? So, uh, you know, getting this thing to do it wouldn't be hard. I agree with people in chat. And until this thing gets some guardrails put around it, it is very scary how easily it can help someone get weaponized wicked fast. I also saw a story yesterday that uh, ChatGPT got like through like the first round of resume screening and was like getting an interview for a job. Like the, the CEO of the company knew that they were doing it, but they were like trying to put it through to see if it would get through HR and recruiters and stuff. And it did. Bitwarden acquires passwordless dev. Ooh. This marks the first acquisition for the open source password management platform, obtaining the Swedish startup passwordless dev. The company specializes in tools for developers to integrate passwordless authentication. Bitwarden supports some passwordless authentication already, including biometrics and the use of FIDO security keys. With the acquisition announcement, Bitwarden launched a new beta service to allow third-party developers to embed biometric sign-in tech into apps. No word on how much the deal costs, but Bitwarden recently raised its first funding round in September, securing $100 million, so it could probably afford it. Jesus. Dude, wow, Kimberly. Great cash, homie. God damn. So, um, okay, so I use Bitwarden, okay? So I'm a huge fan of Bitwarden. Um. I want you to note that this is really cool. Bitwarden's been open source. They do have, I mean, Bitwarden is uh, freemium. It might be open source. I don't I don't know if it is, but yeah, it is open source. Uh, I use it. I love it. It's on my devices and stuff like that. Uh, they said that they're getting going towards passwordless but through this acquisition. Dude, they raised $100 million. That's a ton of money. Uh, I love the product. I, I you know, recommend it to other people, especially recently when they were like, oh, LastPass, what do I do? Um, 
I'll tell you on iPhone, it's already, you know, has passwordless authentication with the face, um, the face stuff. Um, I know on, um, iPads that don't have the facial recognition, there is fingerprint. So you can authenticate through currently using passwordless. Um, so we're heading that way. All I'll tell you guys is this. I, for one, am fully on board with moving to a passwordless um, uh, architecture for authentication, right? There's lots of different ways. You can have, you know, like it's still kind of a password, but like Microsoft, um, Windows has the way that we're like, they'll show you a picture and you like click on a couple different spots in the picture. That's one way. There's biometrics, iris scan. There is... Um, UB keys, like having hardware tokens and stuff. There's a lot of different options out there. And a lot of tech is allowing for integration with these options. Passwords are terrible. Like passwords have been the bane of our existence. There's a reason that like there's password lists and there's reasons that there are rainbow tables because passwords are used everywhere to identify and authenticate individuals as the actual person that is saying it is. But in zero trust architecture, in 2023, in the modern world we live in, where with phishing, getting creds and stuff like that, uh, passwords are weak at best. We really should be using passphrases, frankly. So I'm all on board the passwordless express. Get on board. There's plenty of room in the bus with me. Um, so good on Bitwarden. I look forward to con like to integrating more passwordless options with my Bitwarden implementation. Fed sees Bitslado crypto exchange. The U.S. Department of Justice announced an arrest of the founder of the exchange, Anatoly Legkodimov, charging him with money laundering. The DOJ arrested the Russian national in Miami and arraigned him in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida. As part of an operation in coordination with Interpol, French authorities took down the Bitslado infrastructure. The DOJ said a lack of know-your-customer controls made the exchange a haven for illegal funds. Chainalysis estimates the exchange received over $2 billion worth of cryptocurrency from 2019 to 2021, of which 48% represented illicit or risky transactions. The dark web Hydra market carried out the most transactions on the platform. All right, hold on. I want to know... Um... All right, so this guy set up a crypto exchange that was basically like... <laughs> loosely uh supposed to be a real business but it sounds like he set it up for a money money laundering no surprise guys ftx binance um all, all of these exchanges they operate outside the united states Th there's supposed to be like regulations uh and oversight to ensure no funny business uh and no criminal business either so not just like not just attacking victims and stealing their money like FTX did, but allowing for money laundering, right? Kind of what Binance got in trouble for recently. Um, so Bizlotto, that's what they're doing. The The leader uh, got arrested or whatever, um, and the service got brought down. I really want to know, um, I really want to know what, what kind of, um, it doesn't say what he, he was, like he got arrested by the DOJ. I'm curious, how, like what kind of time he's facing, or or not. Again, like sometimes you really got to weigh risk and reward, right? The classic GRC guy here. The guy got arrested, but he was making hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars, right? 
Uh, it said that nine, um, the exchange had wandered over $966 million of illicit money, right? So this guy was like living in Miami, you know, what is it like? Welcome to Miami or is it Atlanta? It's Atlanta where the players play, isn't it? Right. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play. Yeah. So whatever. Miami's still kind of hot, right? Isn't Miami? Uh, Kimberly knows what's up, right? Isn't, isn't Miami where like all the beautiful people run around and uh, like throw money around and like driving with the drop top down, throwing money out the roof, screaming money ain't a thing, something like that. A anyways, this guy was probably living a pretty sweet life. So hopefully the uh, the punishment associated with that is strong enough to dissuade other people um, from uh, entering this type of uh, enterprise. I also want to remind people that after the FTX collapse, um, the SEC, the Department of Treasury, uh, you know, hopefully the U.S. government gets out of their own way and, and like focuses on real issues instead of um, some of the stuff that we're they're, they're focusing on right now, but. Crypto needs to be regulated and, and like this type of behavior is not going to really be possible in a future state of a crypto world that's under regulation. Uh, basically, they got hit really hard for not doing the uh, know your customer uh, protocols, which is supposed to identify that you are who you say you are. You're legit. You're paying taxes. The money is legitimate money and instead not, um, you know, ransomware money laundering. I'm sure I would I would be stunned if... Um, Lazarus Group wasn't also using these guys. All right. Oh, A1A Beachwood Avenue. Yeah. Haha. <laughs> Ice baby. All right. Let, let's let's roll through the mid roll. And now a word from our sponsor, Serbi. Did you know that over 60% of cloud applications used by your company don't support identity standards like single sign-on, and that these applications are the leading cause of breaches? Serbi can help. Serbeat discovers new applications, eliminates manual security tasks like offboarding, and addresses misconfigurations like disabled 2FA while increasing employee productivity. Wait, a security tool that increases productivity? Yep. Learn more at serby.com. That's C-E-R-B-Y.com. All right, mid-roll. All right, guys, if you're new here, we do this at midway through the show every day. Want to thank all of you for being here. We're at 127. I know it's tough on a Tuesday, Thursday with the mid-morning mid routine. Want to say shout out to Poner Joe. Good to see you live, Poner Joe. It's been a minute. Hope you're well. Guys, thanks again to Barricade Cyber Solutions and Recon InfoSec for their continued support of the stream. Definitely appreciate that. If you're getting entertainment value out of this stream, if you're getting educational value, if there's even an inkling of something that we covered today that you can use to help be more dominant at work or to crush an interview, do me a favor. What I would genuinely ask and appreciate is take one second and hit the like button. It goes a long way to allowing other cybersecurity professionals to be made aware of Simply Cyber. That's the goal. I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to hit like, I'm not trying to flex with like, ooh, I got 150 likes or whatever. All I'm trying to do is help other cybersecurity professionals and aspiring professionals find Simply Cyber. That's the goal with the like button. And you guys are in complete control of that. I don't, I got approached yesterday uh, by a service that's like, two dollars for a thousand likes and i'm like i'm not paying you to pump my likes bro 
I'll go organic. Thank you very much. All right, guys, if you're interested, uh, every single Monday I send out a newsletter. Go to simplycyber.io slash newsletter. Um, it's, I, I draft it. It's got value. If you like it, hook it up. And if, uh, if, if you don't, you can unsubscribe. It's simple as that. Oh, no. Death by meetings, elite gunslinger. That's tough, man. All right. Short, short mid-roll today. I want to remind everybody later today at 4.30 p.m., Ian Garrett is going to be joining us. If you'd like to know how to go from zero to cybersecurity startup in 90 days, Ian's going to tell us he's done it. He created, founded, and got venture capitalists to fund Phalanx, a cybersecurity company. Guys, cybersecurity is like a multi-billion dollar industry. There's there's money there, and um, you know he'll, he'll tell us exactly. He's like, don't be intimidated by it. Anyone can do it, okay? Thanks, Devin McCarthy. Glad you enjoyed the newsletter. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Let's head back into the, the news after I take a sip of my coffee. You'll notice I had to go pick up takeout coffee on the way home from Citadel today. Oh, awesome. And Neon Nomad and everybody else, I strongly encourage you to ask all the questions you want. This is a this is going to be a great resource. I'm going to get out of the way and let Ian help everybody. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Thursday is meme of the week. Haircut fish. There it is. There's your meme of the week. Thomas the Tank. Thank you so much. Dan Reardon, a.k.a. Haircut Fish, for the meme of the week. Every Thursday, we drop a new meme. Compliments of Haircut Fish in chat. I am Thomas the Tank. And that brought us to the la-la-la-las. All right, let's get our la-la-las on, y'all. All right. Thanks so much to everybody in chat, especially Dan Reardon, a.k.a. Haircut Fish. Best wishes on the new job. And for those who were talking about getting interviewed this week, I wish you the very best on crushing your interviews. Let's get back into the news. Twitter speaks on third-party client outage. Twitter finally broke its silence over why third-party apps were no longer working with Twitter's API. A post on the company's Twitter account says Twitter is enforcing its longstanding API rules that may result in some apps not working. This explains why many third-party Twitter clients started having widespread problems accessing the service late Thursday. What wasn't specified is what long-standing rules these apps violated to warrant being cut off. Some have speculated that since these apps don't show display ads, Twitter cut them off as a way to further drive ad revenue. It's worth noting that some apps like Albatross and the iOS version of Phoenix continue to work. All right. So this we covered this story yesterday or Tuesday in the stream. Um... Twitter, like tweet, tweet bot, and uh, some other uh, services broke. I lost my mind and said, like, that's insane. Either Twitter's trying to do everything in house now, or, um, you know, like there's got to be something, probably money related. Great cash, homie. Uh, because APIs, like, it, there's too many things with APIs. It'd be so dumb for them to like stop APIs. So what it sounds like they did now that they looked in it is saying that when you sign up for APIs, just like when you sign up for anything else, there's a bunch of, uh, good luck, Carrie. Um, there's a bunch of rules that you agree to. And most people don't read the rules, right? Most people are just like, click, 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 click. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. I agree. I agree. Well, 
Elon must have looked at those rules. Elon probably said, listen, Twitter people who haven't quit or been fired, we need to make money. Where can we make money? And um, they said, well, you know, there's a bunch of third-party people. All right, how can we monetize that? Well, there's a rule in here that they have to show ads, for example. And so for those who aren't, they get blocked. So here's the deal. Whoever, um, whoever service got blocked by Twitter, I'm sure they are reaching out to Twitter to ask why their APIs aren't working or why their, their access has been blocked. And Twitter will have to explain to them why and then they'll adjust accordingly. So more will come out of this story as those impacted parties explain or are explained to what happened. And then it'll be a story, but I guarantee you it's got to do with money. It's got to do with money. There's no question that this is all about straight cash, homie. Straight cash, homie. Global IT spending fell in 2022. A new analysis by Gartner estimates that global IT spending fell 0.2% on the year in 2022 to $4.38 trillion after initially forecasting a 0.8% increase. It also cut its growth projections for IT spending in 2023 by over half to just 2.4%. Of this estimate, Gartner projects the biggest decline in IT device spending, down 5.1% to $685 billion, while services look to grow 6.7% to $264 billion. With potentially smaller budgets, many organizations report looking to focus on IT investments around optimizing business value, IT modernization, and hiring. Yeah, okay. All right, so a couple of things about this. One, this is a fact. You're not going to argue with this. The like, global IT spending went down 0.2%. And guys, that might sound like inconsequential, but when it's like $40 trillion, um, you know, 0.2% does move my needle a little bit. Now, I want to push back on this story. I work in the industry, okay? I <laughs> I interface with IT and CIOs and budget requests and all this other crap. Yes, there is economic uncertainty. Yes, there is like tech layoffs all over the place. We just saw yesterday, Microsoft announced they're laying off 10,000 people. We saw a couple of weeks ago, Amazon's laying off 10,000 people, right? Uh, I tell you guys all the time, like, you know, keep networking, keep building yourself up. You're the CEO of you. You might go work for a company, but basically you're, um, you're, you're engaging in a business transaction where you're offering them services for money and, you know, benefits. Uh, and you've got to be prepared for them to lay you off uh, because they will do it in a heartbeat. All right. Now to this story, all the things are true, but I would have pushed back and I would love anybody in chat to uh, weigh in on this. Global IT spending decreased. Here is a reality. There has been a chip shortage in 2022. It has to all do with the, the decoupling of the global economy and China shutting itself down for COVID and uh, United States not having chip manufacturers and getting raw materials. Like There is a massive technology supply chain issue going on. If you have tried to buy a car, you know that it's like eight month lead time. If you, and here's where I think global IT spending decrease really came from. If you have tried to do a tech refresh on end user workstations, laptops, desktops, there are lead times at the CDWs and the Newegs and the Dells and all those other ones. It is difficult. You cannot get a ton of new tech right now. I, I know for a fact there has been contingency plans at some organizations where they say, listen, if if push comes to shove, we'll go down to Best Buy and literally buy their inventory so we can do a tech refresh, okay? 
So I think the global IT spending decrease, yes, it has to do with inflation in the economy and recession and all that crap, but I also think it has to do with an inability to have access to tech to purchase because of the manufacturing and supply chain impacts that have actually occurred over 2022. So be mindful of that. All right? All right. Latest MailChimp attacks sound familiar. The newsletter giant disclosed a cyber attack exposed data on dozens of customers on January 11th. The attacker accessed an internal tool used by its customer support team through a targeted social engineering campaign. This marks the second breach in the last six months for the company. More troublingly, the details from the August breach sound almost identical, with a social engineering campaign obtaining credentials to access internal tools used by its customer support team. Impacted customers say the attack exposed customer names, web URLs used by stores, and email addresses. The breach did not expose customer passwords. Okay. A look at All right. So I'm just reading the story here. All right. So MailChimp is a massive uh platform used for um like email marketing and newsletters and stuff like that. Like I don't use it for simplycyber.io slash newsletter, but it's very similar, right? MailChimp got hacked a couple months ago, got hacked again. Um, if you use MailChimp, be mindful of that you might get a, a request to change your password. They said passwords weren't compromised, but you know, I, you know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, like they'll tell us in like a month, like, oh, uh, like, like, like LastPass and their thing. Oh, sensitive data wasn't taken. And then like a month later, they're like, oh, all password vaults were taken. You know what I mean? So. Uh, be mindful of that. If you're using API integrations, which is not uncommon, you might want to reset those API keys. Uh, not a good look for MailChimp, but I will just, uh, I guess, you know, the obvious things here is be mindful of it if you're using it. But uh, a quick little lesson learned or an opportunity to educate here is around um, vendor lock-in. So there's a concept in the industry called vendor lock-in, which basically means Vendors make it really easy for you to onboard with them. Oh, come on. We've got like a customer success uh, onboarding expert who's going to help you and they'll hold your hand and get you all up and running. And then here's a client success manager once you're up and running to good to go. Okay. So they, they make it wicked smooth and easy and frictionless to get on board with them. I don't care if it's MailChimp, Office 365, Amazon. It doesn't matter. All the products, a SIM, an MDR service, all of them make it wicked easy to get on board. Okay. Now you're locked into them. Vendor lock-in is how painful it is to switch vendors for a service versus what the savings or benefit is for switching services. So MailChimp, for example, ConvertKit is another competitor to MailChimp, okay? Let's say that you do MailChimp and you're like, you know what? This is crap. I am I am so done with all the Carls at MailChimp. We're switching. Okay. So we're going to switch. Now, how long is it going to take to change all of your automations, all of your templates? You can't really probably export all of your setup and configuration out of MailChimp nicely into ConvertKit or into whatever. So you're going to have to invest time, money, resources. You may miss some stuff. There's going to be business process interruptions. And maybe, maybe it costs the same. Maybe it costs less, more, whatever. So there's a financial component to it. Ugh. Just throw the marketing department throws their hands up <sighs> to hell with it. Let's just stay with MailChimp. It's it's too painful. It's too much friction. 
It's not worth it. We're locked in. This is called vendor lock-in, and you need to be mindful of it because, like, if, you know, if Office 365 or Adobe or whatever, whoever you're in bed with has serious issues, you've got to be mindful of how to, how to get out. And when you're doing um, a vendor product analysis, right, if you're, if you're going through, like, let's say MDR service, Recon InfoSec, right? We talk about them all the time. You're evaluating three MDR services. One of the questions you should be asking during any of this evaluation, like what's onboarding look like? What's the day-to-day -day look like? Who do I talk to? You should always ask, what does it look like when we terminate the contract? Do we get access to all our data? How long do we have access to the data? What does the transition look like? Do you make uh, data exports so we can take all of our rules or all of our log data or all of our whatever and ingest it into a new system in a meaningful way? If you're not asking those questions, you're not thinking about system lifecycle, and you're going to be rudely surprised when you go to terminate the contract because they're not delivering the service or they're too expensive or whatever. It's going to be painful. So you've got to be mindful of that. A lot of people don't give consideration to that. Law enforcement's access to money transfer databases. The Wall Street Journal profiled how hundreds of U.S. law enforcement agencies across state, local, and federal jurisdictions maintain access to a database from the Transaction Record Analysis Center. This database shows the flow of funds through money transfer services like Western Union, MoneyGram, Dolex, and Euronet. The Arizona State Attorney General's Office initially set up the database back in 2014 as part of a settlement with Western Union to combat drug trafficking. Data obtained by the ACLU shows that any authorized law enforcement agency can query the database without a warrant, including bulk transaction records based on nebulous criteria like Middle Eastern slash Arabic name categories. U.S. Senator Ron Wyden opened an investigation into the use of this database by federal agencies. Okay. When the asset... Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. All right. So basically, uh, light is being shown on this massive database that basically just vacuums up transactions uh between the united states and other countries right so international transactions uh it says you know at this point there's 150 million transactions i'm sure it's just um it's basically an audit log anytime there's a transaction between us and someone else whether it's you know, Western Union, Venmo, they didn't say Venmo, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like like PayPal, any of these things, apparently part of the deal is if you're going to be in this particular business, you need to send a, you know, carbon copy to this database. Since 2014, it's been in place. Um, I do appreciate that they're using it to combat, combat uh, organized crime, whether it's drug cartels or anything else. Um, you know, the problem here is the nebulous criteria, right? Where you can say, like, uh, show me all transactions to um, Middle Eastern Arabic names, right? I mean, that's that's super specific as far as, like, stereotype. Um, but, I mean, if you're a private business owner or a private person, right, and you're, you're shipping money to, you know, whatever, Israel, right, um, that's going to be tracked in here. So there is a privacy uh, implement implication. Obviously, if somebody gets into the, uh, the data set, they could identify individuals with mass wealth that might be trying to protect themselves or hide, uh, and target them for, you know, spear phishing or, 
uh, advanced cybercrime. <sighs> you know, I, I got to tell you guys, like, this is a hot topic. I, I'm not, I'm not upset about this. Okay. Like, I don't think that the problem isn't that the database exists and that the transactions are being recorded. The issue here is that you don't need a court order and basically any, you know, Gomer, not Gomer pile. Um, what, what was the, uh, the cop in, uh, Mayberry there? The, the, um, that guy, oh my God, not Andy Griffith, but like his, 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 his deputy there. Uh, like basically any, any local police, any federal police can query this database, uh, without, you know, without really needing to justify where they're doing it, right? Barney Fife, thank you. Thank you, Barney Fife. So that's the problem. I mean, obviously people could abuse this. You would hope, you would hope that, here's where I am. I don't mind that this data exists. I like that they're using it. I think organized crime and drug trafficking is terrible. I think that there's an opioid epidemic, especially in the Northeast in the United States. I have, a, a, my, my cousin, like, died because of an overdose. Okay. So like, I'm very, very, uh, aware of, you know, what this is trying to do. And yes, there are some opportunities for abuse. You'd have to think that there is some audit record or log of like Barney Fife queried Middle Eastern Arabic names and got these results. You'd have to think that there is some oversight central to the database on who's using it and how they're using it. You don't have to request a court order, but you're also not doing it like using Google incognito mode, right? There is some type of audit and checks and balances. So I'm not upset about this. Um, and as they said in the story, um, they don't broadcast that they have it, but they also don't run and hide from it too. So this isn't some clandestine, you know, resource or something like that. Uh, it's just out there, you know, whatever. I, I, I'm not upset. I'm not upset. I'm fine with this. Discovery Market launched every single company that offered a solution. Use the line, you can't protect what you don't know. Wait a minute. Everyone agreed with that. This week's episode of Defense. All right, all right, all right. So that's just an ad. So let us, if you're here just for the news, um, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming out today. Uh, you know, it was the 10 a.m. We got to 136. Let me launch this. Nope. All right, so that's going to do it. I got to have uh, three minutes here of jaw jacking. Uh, I hope you appreciate and enjoy the new format where I launch quickly into the news and then uh, obviously mid-roll and then hang out for a few minutes at the end. I'm trying to not have you have a dance party um, at the beginning where your boss walks in and they're like, what are you doing at 8 a.m. listening to like house music? Um, but also allow for a little bit of jaw jack and a little bit of camaraderie, a little water cooler talk at the end. So, whoops. So, thank you very much. Um, guys, come join us later today at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time to talk with Ian Garrett about Zero to Cybersecurity, Neon Nomad. I'll be looking for you in chat. Uh, bring your questions, leave with your answers. I'm, I'm super happy about all of it. Carrie's <laughs> talking about it. Uh, you like the dance party? Just Ben likes the dance party. All right. <laughs> All right. Recon info sec at 1230 central. I will share that. I do really enjoy that. I try to join when I can. I'm going to drop this in chat.
Thursday defensive on Recon InfoSec. This is a live, uh, not recorded Zoom session. It's very cool. Um, Randolph game, and I'll answer that in a second. Come check this out. It's Central Time, so it's 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I try to join when I can. Today, they're going to have Roberto Rodriguez on as their guest. That'll be fun. Uh, Randock Gaming asks, why did I join? Or uh, what is it about? Hold on. What, let me read this question. Oh, K. Scott Powell promoted. Nice, K. Scott Powell. Way to crush it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, where's my question from uh, Randock Gaming? What? Okay, so Randock says, what makes me love this industry? I'll tell you quite simply. I am, um, if, if I'm not, in, if I, like, I probably have ADHD. Like, if I'm not, like, actively engaged in something, um, you know, I feel unsettled. I feel uncomfortable. Cybersecurity is so awesome, right? Like, it's so, like, every day it's changing. There, There's an active live cat and mouse thing going on with threat actors there's really smart people involved um dude i've been doing this for 20 years i have multiple degrees in this i talk about it i work it i teach it i do i, I write about it i do everything and like i suck at penetration testing right i don't know the first thing about android hacking right like there's there's like there's so much meat on the bone that the bone is made of meat too like you can't you can't drink the well dry when it comes to cybersecurity. So for someone who loves learning and loves uh, like absorbing new knowledge, um, cybersecurity is dope. Like it, 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 you can't get to the end of it. Um, that's why I love it. It's it's fascinating. It's it's elegant. It's complicated. Um, you know, like right now, like I have no reason to, I have no reason to be taking an IoT pen testing course, and I'm taking it because I bought a bus pirate. And I want to hardware hack an IoT camera. I have no, there's no professional reason for me to want to do that, but I'm super pumped about it. So that's why I love cybersecurity. It is, it is the well that refuses to go dry. I have my training space right next to my workspace. I'm doing blue and red teaming on one side. Cannot get enough cyber. That's right. All right. Great discussion. My reasons, plus I love security exactly. I mean, guys, well, I should save this for Tidbit Tuesday, but I mean, I originally was a software developer. I got a computer science bachelor's. I thought the only thing you could do was software development. So I went and became a software developer, got my code audited for security, failed miserably. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like my code's awesome. Your audit sucks. And they're like, no, like you're not doing authentication. You're not auditing. Like this, anyone can walk right through this app. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this security about? And then I fell in love and never looked back. Bus pirate. That's right, Ben, Ben, Brent Gary. It is, it's literally called the bus pirate, um, which I know will probably be Brent Gary's favorite new term. This is it right here, guys. The bus pirate. Got to get 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 on that. Hop on a bus pirate. Stat. All right. All right, guys. I'm gonna boogie out of here. Thank you all so very much for your time today. I hope you got value out of the stream. I enjoyed the little hangout afterwards. <laughs> um, 
We'll see you guys later today at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time or 8 a.m. tomorrow for the Friday session. Um, I believe this hasn't been scheduled yet, but I believe tomorrow will be Simply Cyber Unfiltered. Simply Cyber After Hour, Simply Cyber After Dark, whatever you guys want to call it. The the cool social, bring a bring a cybersecurity t-shirt and a beer. Uh, social, that'll be tomorrow at uh, 4 p.m. Have a great day, everybody. Oh, damn it. That's going to do it for today's stream. Thanks, everybody, and until next time, stay secure.